In the second reading today, we hear St. Paul say to Timothy that he should bear hardship for the sake of the gospel. And this idea of bearing hardship for the gospel is what I want to dive into today, specifically the hardship that comes from being a disciple of Christ. Christ calls his followers disciples, and disciple literally means student. To be a disciple of Christ means to be a student of Christ, to learn from our master. But it's not for nothing that disciple and discipline come from the same word. Discipline is that spirit of self-control that St. Paul also speaks about, that spirit of self-control. And for most of us, self-control comes with great difficulty. We have to endure a certain amount of suffering to acquire that self-control. And that's why St. Paul says we should not be afraid to bear our share of hardship for the gospel. We think about discipline. Parents discipline their children. We should discipline our children. And when we do this, in a real sense, we're causing them suffering. But it's not arbitrary suffering. When we discipline our children, we're causing them suffering for their good because we love them. Anytime we undergo a a new program of study or we want to acquire a new skill, learn a new language, start an exercise regimen or start a diet or anything like that, it requires discipline on our part. But we're willing to endure the suffering that comes from that discipline because of the good that it brings. So if we're willing to endure suffering for those sorts of goods... How much more willing should we be to endure joyfully and patiently that suffering that comes from following Christ? If we look at the life of any saint, what we see across the board that distinguishes them is that this is one who, above all else, was willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, who was willing to bear hardship for the gospel. And as an example, I want to focus on just one today, the patron saint of campus ministry, who will be canonized a saint one week from today by Pope Francis. I'm speaking about John Henry Cardinal Newman. Newman was born in England in the year 1801, and he wasn't born into a Catholic family. He wasn't born a Catholic. But he did have a profound religious experience at the age of 15, which caused him to become a very zealous evangelical Protestant. And as you can imagine, at 15, his, his heart was a little bit ahead of his mind, and he was not always well-guided in that enthusiasm. But he was very zealous, and he was very sincere. But by the time he entered college, he had matured a little bit in his faith, and he had developed an appreciation for the history of the faith and the depth of Christian theology. And so, being English... He became an Anglican, and he was ordained an Anglican priest in the year 1825. He was only 24 years old. 
and he devoted himself to study. And not just to study, but to teaching. And so in that sense, you could say he epitomized what it meant to be a disciple in the sense of being a student, a student of Jesus. He spent himself in the pursuit of knowledge. And as any student knows, that takes great discipline. Newman was devoted to the truth, devoted to teaching the truth to others and to learning it for himself. He became a a fellow of Oriel College at Oxford. And that became his career. That became his identity. He was a priest and a professor. That was who he was. He was a priest and he was a professor. But as he studied more and more the Christian faith, and he never stopped studying it, It's not like today where you go through faith formation until 8th grade and then you get confirmed and you're like, well, good, I don't have to learn about that anymore. No, 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 no. He constantly was learning more things about Christianity. And as he learned more and more, he became convinced that Protestantism was intellectually indefensible. See, he belonged to a group called the Oxford Movement. And the people in this movement were seeking to reform the Anglican church by reconnecting Anglican Christianity with its roots. And what Newman was discovering was that those roots were Catholic. He set out at the beginning of this this intellectual journey to defend Anglicanism as what was called the media via, the middle road, that middle road between you know, evangelical Protestantism on one side and Catholicism on the other. This was the, the draw of Anglicanism. And that's what he wanted to do, he did, to establish Anglicanism as this middle road. But he couldn't do that. Because as he was learning more and more, it just became apparent to him that Christ didn't establish a middle road. Christ established a church. A single church. And as he studied the writings of the church fathers in particular, as he was learning about the development of Christian doctrine, he realized, as he would famously write later, that to be steeped in history is to cease to be Protestant. This is what he wrote, to be steeped in history is to cease to be Protestant. And so in 1845, after nearly 20 years as an Anglican priest, he was received into full communion with the Roman Catholic Church. And you want to talk about bearing hardship for the gospel. For Cardinal Newman, wasn't Cardinal at the time, for Father Newman, this was not just about changing the church that he went to on Sunday morning. This was about leaving behind his ministry leaving behind his career, leaving behind his identity. It meant a loss of friends. It meant a loss of credibility in the eyes of many. It meant a great loss of respect. In 19th century England, one could not remain a teaching fellow at Oxford and be a Catholic. You could not do it. You couldn't hold public office and be a Catholic. Anti-Catholic hostility was widespread and it was open. And so by becoming a Catholic, this very prominent figure in the Anglican Church 
was subjecting himself to public ridicule. He was ostracized. Why would anyone subject themselves to that sort of thing? After all, he had it good. He had a very fruitful ministry. He had students flocking to his classes. He was bringing souls to Christ. Why couldn't he just stay there where he was? Why endure all of this ridicule and hardship, this loss of his own identity? It's because John Henry Newman did not have a spirit of cowardice. He had that spirit of strength and love and self-control that St. Paul speaks about. He was not ashamed of his testimony for the Lord. And he was willing to bear his share of hardship for the gospel, no matter what the personal cost might be. That is what fidelity looks like. That's what intellectual honesty looks like. And that's what true conversion looks like. This is why I'm so very grateful that Cardinal Newman, soon to be St. John Newman, is held up as an example to college students today that I work with. He's considered to be the patron saint of campus ministry because in his advocacy for um, faithful Catholic universities and for the establishment of Catholic ministry centers at non-Catholic universities. See, he went on to become an ordained clergyman in the Catholic Church as well and named a cardinal. And he went on to teach at Catholic colleges and spent his life and his career advocating for Catholic education. And he believed that to be a truly universal education, and this is what universities strive to offer, that's why they call themselves universities, because they believe in providing an edu- a universal education. Newman believed that for an education to be truly universal, it had to also be Catholic. Because the Catholic Church is the custodian of universal truth. This is what the word Catholic means, universal. Therefore, the church has a responsibility not only to establish Catholic universities, but to make sure that it has a presence on the campuses of secular universities as well. The first Newman Center for Campus Ministry was established in 1893 on the campus of the University of Philadelphia, only three years after Cardinal Newman's death. Our own campus ministry here at Western dates back to 1950, when the school hired its very first Catholic faculty member, Dr. Maurice Morrill, and he and his wife opened up their home to the 11 Catholic students that were then enrolled at what was called Western Carolina College at the time. They opened their home to them on Wednesday evenings for dinner and fellowship. Now it's some 70 years later, and we still have dinners on Wednesday evenings, but our numbers have grown a little bit beyond those first 11 students. We have Mass on campus every Sunday, and as Father can attest, um, we've been packing it in uh, this semester. We've been averaging about 60 to 70 students attending our Sunday Mass. Our chapel holds 50. So, <laughs> so we're, 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 uh, we have a, a problem that needs a solution there. I would say come and see it for yourself, but don't, because we don't have room for you. <laughs> We need every space in the pew for our students. And we have folding chairs everywhere there's space for it and people standing in the back. We have about a dozen students serving as peer ministry leaders. And they help me in evangelizing and catechizing their 
peers on campus. They lead small group Bible studies. They help me to organize retreats. And so I spend a lot of my time working with these, these 12 students. Um, and we have eight currently in RCIA on their way to being received themselves into full communion with the Catholic Church. Two who are not baptized, and God willing, they'll be baptized uh, this Easter. So I stay very busy with, with this, the fruits of, of the labor of um, Cardinal Newman uh, 100 years ago. Um, I invite you after, I know this is Parents Weekend, and so we have some parents and families here. Come and talk to me after Mass. We have a little table set up in the fellowship hall. We're actually selling raffle tickets because all of this takes money as well. Father mentioned um, before that we are a diocesan ministry, and so we're funded by the DSA. Most of our money for our funding comes from the DSA. So thank you in advance for putting that envelope in the basket and supporting the DSA. But that doesn't cover 100% of our funding. We have to raise uh, a certain amount of excess. Uh, at Western, I have to raise about $14,000 every year to meet our needs. And I don't like talking about it. I don't like begging people for money every time I talk about campus ministry. Um, but it is a need that we have. And so we have raffle tickets. They're $5 each. Uh, we're raffling off a $1,000 cash prize. And we'll also just happily take donations. But even you know, if you, you can't support us financially, come and talk to me. And we have some students here uh, today. Meet our students and talk to them about what's going on there on campus. Because it's a great joy for me. It's a great joy for me to see these students deepen their relationship with Christ during their time on campus and start to take their faith seriously. Not that a lot of them don't take their faith seriously in high school and when they were younger, but when you come out on a, a university campus and you're affronted on all sides from different ideas and different ideas about what the truth is and, and different, different religions and you don't have mom and dad there watching out for you and you're not going to church because mom and dad say, it's get up, it's time to go to church now, you have to make that adult decision that this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want to pursue. And I have to take that seriously now. And what does that look like in my life to really live this out as a Catholic adult? And let me tell you, there is not one of them who does that without some sort of struggle, without some sort of hardship that they end up bearing for the sake of the gospel. Because at the end of the day, being a disciple of Christ means conforming your life to something that's outside your own wants and your own desires. It means putting yourself second at best and putting someone else first. And that is always hard. For any one of us, regardless of our state in life, who struggles with that, who struggles to bear our hardship for the sake of the gospel, John Henry Newman can be that saint that we pray to for intercession and that we look to for inspiration. For God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but one of power and love and self-control. And love is the key to that, because love bears all things. Love endures all things. Because to love, after all, simply means being willing to suffer for the sake of your beloved. And Jesus shows us his love for us by his suffering on the cross. And when he invites us to take up our own cross and follow him, he's inviting us 
to love him in return. So if we grumble and we complain about the difficulties that come from being a Christian disciple, then we're like those unprofitable servants that we read about in the gospel today who only do what they're commanded. But if we bear our share of hardship with love for Christ, then we're no longer his servants, but his friends. And that's the definition of a saint, a friend of Christ. May we bear with joy whatever hardship comes our way in this life for the sake of our enduring friendship with Christ in the life to come.